0: Welcome to Pillar & Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC, and this episode is a Pillar & Ground Confessions episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. Today we continue our study of Westminster Confession of Faith 4.2. We're talking about today the characteristics of created mankind. Uh, we'll have a part two of Westminster Confession of Faith 4.2 talking about the covenant with created mankind and the calling of created mankind. First, the characteristics of God's creation and humanity. The Confession in 4.2 says, after God had made everything else, he created mankind. He made them male and female. With rational and immortal souls endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image. They had the law of God written in their hearts and had power to fulfill it. Humans, according to the Westminster Confession of Faith as it summarizes the scripture, humans who were created in the image of God have a gender, male and female, From the outset, it says he made them male and female. God created humanity, both male and female. We live in a time of unprecedented hostility and confusion between the genders and towards gender. That's a tragic distortion of creation, and it's a result of the fall in many ways we'll be discussing further some of these matters of gender in future episodes as we explore in coming weeks the pca's study committee on human sexuality but for now the confession is clear that god created humanity both male and female according to the scriptures but he created us with rational and immortal souls we've been created with rational and immortal souls unlike animals we are rational we we are like God in that we have reasonable souls, the capacity to think rationally, to deduce, like our God who has a mind. Immortal is a tricky word. It technically means cannot die. And some have taken this to mean that the soul has a an existence throughout eternity. There's never been a time when our souls did not exist, but that's not what the confession means. Christian theology denies the soul's eternality in the sense that there was a time when our souls did not exist. But after our soul's creation, what it means to be immortal is there will never be a time where it no longer exists. Although the souls of all people will continue to live forever after being created... They will continue to exist only because of God who sustains life in the soul, not because the soul in and of itself is eternal and capable of dying. R.C. Sproul gives that helpful clarification. I love that Chad Van Dixhorn says the age of reason and the romantic period both began on day six. Our Maker blessed us with the faculty to think before we speak, He blessed us with the ability to love, not simply to lust. Human reason and immortality set us apart from our creatures, but nothing so distinguishes us in every sense of the word that we are made in the image of God. The confession also says that we were given and endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image. We're endowed with knowledge, as we've been talking about, with rational souls, not just the capacity of knowledge, but a conscious understanding of what is truth. We've been endowed with righteousness, more than just the absence of wrongdoing, but a, a positive conformity to the divine will and towards obedience. We, we were endowed with true holiness. It speaks of being a possession of moral purity, consecrated unto God. God created Adam and Eve with all the necessary equipment and ability to reflect the righteousness and holiness of God to the rest of the created realm. The confession then goes on to say that those are first parents. They had the law of God written in their hearts and they had the power to fulfill it. The Westminster Confession of Faith goes on in chapter 9.2 to say we were created in innocence. And that innocence means we had the moral ability and moral capacity to choose righteousness and obedience to God. We were created with the freedom and the power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God. Thus 9.2 says... Man, in his state of innocence, had freedom and ability to will and to do what was good and well-pleasing to God, and yet not unalterably so that he might fall from it. Adam and Eve were free and able to do good. They were nonetheless also free and able to do evil. They were perfect, but they could fall from that. And Augustine of Hippo stated, That in creation, we were able to sin and we were able not to sin. But after the fall, we continue to be able to sin, but we lost the power or the ability not to sin. That is left in the state of moral inability. That's the consequence and the tragedy of the fall. As we understand Westminster Confession of Faith 9.2, man in his state of innocence has the freedom and power and will to do that which is pleasing and good. He's created positively towards obedience, but mutable. He can change. Every creature was very good in terms of its own purpose and sphere and character. And so for man, rational, religious, moral means that he is very good. Ecclesiastes seven twenty nine says that God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. So Adam's original state God's law has been written on our hearts. Romans two, fourteen through fifteen confirmed that. We had the ability to keep this law, but we were more interested in our schemes than God's law. We disbelieved God's goodness and God's revelation. And there was from the beginning that possibility of transgression. We were made perfect, but able to change for the worse. And sadly, we did. Now, the implications of understanding the characteristics of our createdness, as stated in the Westminster Confession of Faith 4.2, are several. First, the gospel story never begins with darkness and sin. It always begins with creation. Really, it begins even before creation, in the beginning, God. But I was reminded of this at one point in my life where I heard someone teaching children with the story told of the gospel via a flannel board. And the very first color and starting point of that flannel board was black, that we begin our story as those in ruin and misery because of sin. And everything in me wanted to stand up and scream, no, that's not where it started. It started in the beginning God, and then God created the world, and it was good and very good. And so to understand the characteristics of our createdness means that we won't be able to understand the full ruin and misery of the fall unless we start with the glory and wonder of creation and humanity. The wonder and beauty of redemption will be less to us if we start with sin rather than creation. The heights of our restoration are understood accurately only when we clearly think about who we were created to be. That is our starting point, and that's one of the lessons. The second has to do with image of God, and that a humility comes to us with this doctrine. Also, a dignity comes with us in this doctrine. We'll speak about that next. The humility is found in this, emphasis on this word, image of God. The word image immediately should point us to our humble reality. We are a finite physical representation of the creator. Just as a statue or figurine is a finite depiction of reality, so also with us. We are images of God, but that's it. (laughs) There are some things about God, the incommunicable attributes, that we're not able to image. Omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. And when we try to image those things that we're not able to, we do damage because we've forgotten our humility. And as our friend Kelly Capic has reminded us in his recent book, our finitude. When you try to be all knowing, all places and all powerful, you lose the characteristics that we learn of our creativeness, that we're an image and that should foster humility. Human beings are not divine. The creator creature distinction remains. Humans are not in place of God. We are not equal. But we are reflections of our Creator. The application to this doctrine is humility. Richard Pratt, my professor and friend, says, Real wisdom is knowing your limits and bending your knee to God. And if you don't know your limits, God will make you figure them out. So remember also that in Genesis 1.26, Moses is not writing, this is really important, he's not writing about the fallen sin. He's writing about human beings, perfect human beings, uncorrupted. And even in that state, we are finite compared to God. Humility is a reality of being a creature. It is not a consequence merely of the curse. Now, how how much more now as sinners are we broken and ruined images of God in need of restoration and renovation? That does increase our humility. But humility, infinitude, is not a virtue that comes to us because of our sin. It comes to us because of our design. We're the creature and God's the creator. And so we must not submit to imaginations of grandeur while obscuring the biblical portrait of humble humanity. We must not act like God's. It's funny about humans. We come up with a few great ideas and conclude our way is always best. We're given a few good gifts that are useful in the world, and we conclude that we're indispensable. Well, we must remember we're humble clay. As Steve Brown, another of my professors and friends, says, God buries his workmen and goes on with his work. No one, no one, based on this doctrine of the image of God, is a step above another. It's so easy to think we're grand, to believe we're above others. The call to humility from the emphasis of the word image is a major step in reducing the toxic impact of those who call themselves superior, whether in marriage, parenting, vocation, relationships, culture, race. We're all humbled for we are all creatures and no one is above the other. So, the implications of understanding the characteristics of our createdness first, the gospel story never begins with darkness and sin, it always begins with creation. Second, it fosters humility because we are an image of God. But third and finally, it fosters dignity. We're an image of God. There's the emphasis for the dignity. Humility emphasizes we're an image. Dignity emphasizes of God. Consider that God did not make humans to resemble rocks, trees, birds, horses, and sea creatures. He designed us in his likeness where we have incomparable value and dignity. In the ancient Near East, it was only kings that had the right to claim to be images of the divinity. Commoners, peasants, ordinary citizens had no such value, importance, or distinction. Commoners, peasants, and ordinary citizens, their value was to serve, suffer, and die if need be for the king who was the vice-regent, the image of the ruler of heaven. But what is remarkable is in that context, Moses declares that all people are vice-regents of heaven. All people are royal images of God. Every single human being represents the authority of the heavenly throne on earth, all not a few, all not a particular race, all not a particular class. Some people are not more valuable than others, and there is the dignity. Human worth is not determined by personal income, possessions, educations, looks, career, or other standards. And there are several implications of this glorious truth of dignity based on the characteristics of created mankind. Moses, in saying this in Genesis, desired for the Israelites to reject the propagated views of the Egyptians and other cultures that prized cruel oppression due to a hierarchical view of humanity. This is what led to the Israelites' enslaving treatment in Egypt. That is not. The biblical design. I've seen this at work in India with the caste system. That is not the biblical design. And most societies, if they're honest, have their own caste system. All humans are made in the image of God. And so this truth guides us in how we should treat others. As those who have been oppressed in Egypt, they must not become the oppressors when they arrive in the promised land, mistreating the weak and vulnerable. Mistreating others based on some version of superiority is contrary to the ways of God based on the reality of dignity and honor in our createdness. People around us are visible symbols of God in the world. All of them. And when we dishonor God's image... We dishonor God, and we rebel against his heavenly throne. When we unjustly attack his likeness, we attack him. So Westminster Confession of Faith 4.2, we covered today the following. After God had made everything else, he created mankind. He made them male and female with rational and immortal souls, endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. After his image, after his own image, They had the law of God written in their hearts and had the power to fulfill it. We'll continue in our next episode with the second half of Westminster 4.2. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Pillar and Ground.